At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lombacure, the world messenger, and inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. And today I have a very young, very savvy, super, super smart, obviously, but also um, guest with very interesting story that I think you guys are going to learn a lot. So not only that he wrote the book and obviously that he's been a speaker, um, he authored the book based on his personal experience and it's so catchy. Can you see my scores? So without further ado, let me introduce you Samuel Moore um, Sobel, who is also working in Amazon Web Services from all the places in the world, which I actually quite a bit know about, which is hard to be able to navigate that complexity there as well. So welcome, Samuel. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Absolutely. Uh, we had a chance to connect and chat a little bit, and it's so interesting to see what you're doing and how you make an impact, obviously, not only in Amazon through um, global cloud um, Amazon Web Services that uh, so many companies are looking for a solution and able to navigate the trends, the change, the transformation in DNA of organizations, right? But now you are doing something also on personal level. And before we deep dive into the journey, do you mind sharing where did you grow up and where are you joining us right now? Um, and how are you navigating complexity that we're seeing today? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I am from uh, the Northern Virginia area, born and raised. So I've been here, uh, you know, just outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, for most of my life. What I write about in the book takes place in, in the same area where I now live. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, but I, I uh, own a condo uh, with my wife. Uh, we've been married a little over a year now uh, and uh, just excited to be able to, to make it an impact during this time of uh, upheaval during the pandemic, uh, which has been a lot to, to get used to, but it's, you know, uh, grateful to have opportunities to talk through Zoom and, and, and you know, through these other platforms with, with people like you uh, and get my story out there and hopefully make an impact uh, to the listeners out there. That's fantastic. And obviously everything is shifting with technology, with the cloud space. And it's also shifting how we actually interact with each other, right? So it's awesome to have opportunities to leverage these technologies. But more than anything, obviously you are using your story to change the world in a ways that only you can. So do you mind giving us a little bit of a background? What happened? What didn't transpire? And what occurred for you in order to write this book? Can you see my scars? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the story uh, that I that I wrote about it began uh, on September 1st, 2009. Uh, so for the listeners there, I was 15 years old, uh, six weeks away from my 16th birthday. And I was a week away from starting my sophomore year of high school. So uh, I was eager to get in a few last odd jobs around the community 
in order to earn some you know, extra pocket money for the school year. And so I was hired by a man in my community uh, who described having a job of moving boxes and furniture uh, from his home to a storage facility that was nearby. And when I arrived on September 1, and I had a friend with me, uh, we went together, you know, the, the details started to change. And at first, I kind of chalked this up to maybe a misunderstanding, maybe I didn't understand the details, but this was a common theme throughout the day where there was these misunderstandings. And, uh, it, you know, so the first one was, okay, well, we're going to take actually everything from a storage unit, empty the contents of that unit, and bring it back to the home. So we completed that part of the job. And then once that was complete, uh, I was told that, okay, we were going to take everything left over and take it to a friend's shed who lived, uh, in his words, just five to 10 minutes down the road. And so I, I remember getting in the U-Haul truck and we're, we, you know, he starts driving and five minutes becomes 10 and 10 becomes 20 and 20 becomes 30. And, and suddenly, you know, we're more than 45 minutes uh, away from home and we've passed county lines and I don't recognize where we are. And I start to worry. I start to panic about kind of what, what may be next. Uh, we end up going to this home. So the home was actually at the top of a hill off of a gravel road. And there was trees surrounding the entire property. And there was a shed that was at the bottom of this hill. And so he backed the U-Haul truck all the way down the hill. Uh, and we got out, you know, we, we met the homeowner and she went to the shed and she opened the doors and it was just filled to the brim with items. And so it was clear we were gonna have to empty everything from this shed before we could get anything from the truck into the shed. And so a box made its way into my hands. Uh, you know, I looked down and it was books and hay. And when I say hay, it was literally straw protruding from this box. And I thought, well, this is kind of odd, but who am I to judge what people have in their sheds? Uh, and, you know, they told me to toss it. And I tossed it onto this cement slab that was just a few feet away. And the second it hit that slab, an explosion rang out. And I saw this substance come flying toward me. And I didn't know what it was but I instinctively closed my eyes and then I could feel whatever this was hit my face. And then it was just pain. It, it felt like somebody had taken a, a match, lit it and dropped it on my face. I felt like I was on fire. And, uh, you know, eventually the, so the man calls 911, he leads me up the top of the hill and the operator asks him, so what was the substance? So he hands me the phone because he doesn't know. And he goes back down the hill to go and find out what this was. But I'm standing at the top of this hill. I'm 15 years old. Oh my and goodness. I think I'm going to die, right? Like I'm pretty convinced this is going to be the end. And, and I wasn't ready to go. Uh, and, and I had so much life ahead of me. And so I was, I was you know, just really pleading and praying and, and, and trying to, you know, wanting to, to stay alive and doing my best to follow the instructions of the operator. But, you know, eventually the ambulance does arrive. And as they put me onto a stretcher and put me into the ambulance, uh, I just remember looking around at all the trees and wondering if that was the last time I was going to be able to see trees. Such a traumatic event, such a young age, and something again that it's done uh, quite a bit carelessly, right, without adults being taking responsibility uh, to really navigate and, and, and unfortunately played out uh, detrimentally for you. Um, and I'm just curious, as you said, it's like you never thought you're going to see again. 
what you were thinking, um, I bet that ride was one, one of the longest rides in your life, right? Without your parents, without your loved ones, without really truly feeling if you're going to ever see anybody you care about again. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. I, I, I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know what the substance was. You know, it wasn't until I got into the ambulance and they, I saw the authorities were, you know, kind of talking to the homeowner and it was relayed to me by the paramedics that she revealed that the substance was the glass jar of sulfuric acid that had exploded. Uh, and, and later I would find out I was left with second and third degree burns to my face and arms. Uh, but, you know, again, when that happened, I mean, you know, it sounds scary, but I didn't really know a lot about sulfuric acid. I didn't know what was going to happen, that they were really worried about my eyes. So they were, you know, constantly flushing them in the ambulance uh, because they were telling me that one drop can make you blind. And so I was really worried about if I was going to go blind and I felt like it had burned my eyelids. Um, you know, later the doctors would tell my parents that they didn't have a medical explanation for why I could see because of the condition of my eyelids that I should have been blind. And so, you know, a lot of miraculous things that happened, but at the time, I mean, you're just caught up in what's going to happen and what's my life going to look like. And, you know, once I got to the hospital, they stripped me naked and, and put me into a chemical shower and they're trying to wash the chemicals off. Um, and then they, you know, get me into a hospital room and it's clear they're going to medevac me to another hospital in, in uh, Washington, D.C., Children's National. Uh, but before they do, uh, a nurse overhears me saying that I hadn't seen myself yet. And so they asked me if I wanted to have a look. And uh, before I could answer, they threw a mirror uh, into my lap and no, no social worker, no parent, no, as you say, no loved one wow. on myself for the first time. And I just, you know, I, I, today I look a lot better. I've had a lot of surgery done, but at the time, you know, it just looked like brown and black and green stains just all over my face. I, I didn't recognize myself. And that's when it really started to become real that my life has changed possibly forever. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that because unfortunately this was obviously accident, right? But this type of um, exposure, it's been done for so many decades in different parts of the world intentionally and specifically yeah. for beautiful women and women in cultures where there is such an insane oppression and not to take away from your story, but I just wanted to say, um, obviously what you've been through it's unimaginable and it was accident and you were young but imagine if somebody does this intentionally and how scary that is right and i'm just so glad obviously you recover you kept the sights and now looking at you you look uh, handsome young man that is uh, making things happen on such a large global scale obviously with work with amazon and now with your book and your story so back to your story um i see obviously working in 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 space um, that you just mentioned, a lot of things were obviously um, not done correctly. You shouldn't be seeing the mirror. You should not be talking about all of that. They should not be terrifying you and without offering support and emotional um, preparedness for that, um, as well as obviously waiting for your parents, etc. So what happened next after that mirror, after that scare, after all of those anxieties, all time high? Um, did your parents arrived? I mean, what, what, what took the place, how the treatment was shaped and, and how did you tap into your resilience? Because I'm sure there was a strong emotional roller coaster for you. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I, I, so, so my mom makes it right before I get on 
to get medevaced and she tells me she loves me and and uh, then I'm put on this helicopter and I, I'm taken to children's hospital. And the next thing I remember is seeing a family friend in the doorway with tears streaming down his face. Uh, and his wife pulls him out of the out of the door frame as to not to frighten me. Uh, and and they, he composed it himself and, and comes in. Uh, but I remember right before my uh, parents came, then my dad arrived and he cried and he he had to leave the room and come back. But I remember asking the family friend, you know, I kept asking um, uh, her, you know, how do I look? How do I look? And she kept saying, you know, I'm looking at the inside, not the outside. Uh, and, and so I, I remember feeling, you know, like, oh, wow, you know, like this must, this is, this is really bad. Right. And uh, so I, you know, I remember that night staying in the hospital, they kept me overnight and there was surgery in the morning, but I remember lying awake and just wondering what life was going to look like now. You know, I remember even that first night of wondering, am I going to find, you know, a woman to fall in love with me? Am I ever going to be able to get married? Am I ever going to be able to date? Uh, am I ever going to be able to get through high school? or graduate college, or, you know, everything seemed in flux because of what had just happened. And that was hard. Uh, but, you know, the next morning I, I had a surgery. Uh, and then, you know, by, by that afternoon, they sent me home and there was nothing else that they could do for me. The rest was up to me. And so I remember driving, you know, my parents driving home and I was in the back seat and just feeling this overwhelming sense of, just feeling lost and just feeling lost in what was happening and wondering what was my life going to look like now? Um, and, and so those first few months were, were definitely hard. And you talk about the emotional roller coaster. It was very much a, you know, very focused on the physical at first, obviously of, of trying to repair the, the physical damage. Um, and, and unlike the rest of my uh, peers, I didn't go back to school in person, uh, much like we're, we're doing now through the pandemic. I was preparing 11 years early, uh, but you know, <laughs> stayed home and, and wasn't uh, allowing anybody to, you know, because of the risk of infection, uh, you know, was very sequestered and very, for the first few months, it was very lonely. Uh, but, you know, had teachers come in the afternoon and they would, they would teach me from the dining room table. Uh, but I remember starting to experience some of those emotional symptoms, right? Uh, you know, irritability, uh, insomnia, uh, you know, just feeling a lot of anger, uh, you know, struggling with, uh, you know, energy, feeling low in energy, and eventually did seek mental health counseling, uh, which I highly recommend. Uh, I, I think it, it really helped me in my story. But, you know, for me going and, and, and then getting that diagnosis of, of symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder and depression uh, really helped me identify some of the emotional scarring I'd had. And in some ways that stuck with me a lot longer. I mean, I carried some of those emotional scars well into my early twenties uh, and that was very long lasting. Uh, and, and I definitely carried this with me, but for me, the resilient factor was, you know, he, my psychiatrist introduced me to this concept that I've carried with me ever since. And it was this idea that I could build a toolbox and I could develop those tools and put them in my toolbox and carry them with me wherever I went. And I could combat whatever symptoms I was experiencing. So, uh, you know, some of those tools, I think they look different for all of us, but I think we can all apply this concept. Uh, but some of them are, you know, it was journaling. It was writing about this experience and processing that way. Uh, it was talking with people that I trusted and who cared about me and, and kind of sharing my thoughts with them. Uh, and then eventually a key part of that was through serving others, you know, of going when I was eventually able to go back to high school and, and finding ways to volunteer and serve other people really helped me 
pull me out of my own head and, and, and kind of help me, uh, you know, heal. And so those were all kind of key factors for me. And I really, it took a long time to develop that toolbox, but I'm glad to say I, ha I have those, those, those tools with me and, and, you know, they can help me in, in whatever comes next and whatever adversity I face down the road. I love it. I love that uh, what you just shared, obviously, with such a sense of humor, obviously, uh, how much grit and grace and, and, and endurance and strength to build, but uh, how you had encountered that journey as a teenager, right? And when everything's supposed to blossom and bloom and give you the life to this fullest, uh, you had to go through this major, not only emotional, but mental, physical struggle and to build yourself up, right? Um, obviously loving parents and great support from teachers make huge difference, but so many people don't have that, right? And I just love what you just pointed out, how it's great to have that toolbox and figure it out. What do you need the most in that toolbox and where do you go to resort to it? Because it's all about our inner work, isn't it? Yes, it really is. It really is. It's all about perspective and uh, you know, for me, developing the, the gratitude muscle, right? Building that muscle of feeling you know, gratitude for the things that, that happened that were, you know, could have gone differently. I know for me, you know, I was really focused on what I'd lost, but with the year since, and part of it helps me writing the book to kind of go back and see the ways in which, Hey, that was, that person was really there for me, or, you know, Hey, I, I could have been blind or based on what the doctors told me, or another thing they were really concerned about at the time was organ damage that if you swallow one drop, uh, it could burn your esophagus. It can, you know, affect your inner organs. And so they were doing tests uh, uh, at the time to see, do we need an organ transplant? So this, this was a life-threatening thing uh, that could have gone really awry. And so I, you know, feeling grateful that that's not what happened and feeling grateful that I had great doctors who, you know, I did have to undergo more than a dozen operations over the last, you know, decade. My last surgery was just a few years ago, but, you know, feeling grateful that I had access, as you say, access to that medical care and access to, uh, you know, things that not everybody has access to. And so, so there are things in every situation, I think there's always things to be grateful for and having that posture of gratitude and gratefulness, you know, can help really steer you towards, you know, taking stock every day and really living your best life in, in the present. I love that. And it's again, it's all about attitude, right? In the mindset and obviously a skill set that you work so diligently to make it happen. So do you mind walking us through a little bit of that journey after that initial healing start happening and that green colors start fading? And then you start really seeing these visible scars, right? And I want to talk about those visible as well as invisible scars, because both of us know such a huge differentiation between those two. Um, what it took you on that journey in terms of obviously agreeing on these surgeries, obviously desire to look as much as, as normal and as much as recovered, right? As to previous state as you possibly could. But how did you arrive to these decisions and, and then going through, because even though with anesthesia and all the technology, still it is the painful process, right? And gives you a lot of hopes up and you don't know about results. Uh, I mean, it takes so much time. Uh, so do you mind sharing with the audience that uh, it's impatient, uh, what it takes to be patient and how to build a patience and then gratitude and trust, frankly, through that process? That is, that is a really good question. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think for me, I had, so, so some of the decisions that were made originally were, so for instance, my right nostril was 
closing in on itself. And so I was having some issues with, with breathing and there was some concern there. And so, you know, it, it was one of those things where, okay, I, I have to do something to address this. And then, yeah, as you, you know, obviously I wanted to look as normal as possible and, 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 and those things as well. Uh, you know, once, once the thing, uh, you know, kind of the green and the, the brown and the black stains kind of, kind of went away, it was, it was these red scars. And so it was kind of these red dense marks on my face, uh, you know, on my upper lip, my chin, my neck, my forehead, and on my arms. And, you know, they were, they were based on the advice of doctors and plastic surgeons, you know, as you say, it, it was hard because you, they, there was some of that, okay, it's going to look perfect, right? There was a lot of promises that were made by some doctors or a lot of, you know, technology is so great today, it's going to look, you know, be able to do that. And it, and it didn't, you know, I mean, there was still times where, you know, it, it didn't always work. I know for one surgery I had, uh, they took a skin graft from my ear and they put it under my nose uh, and it didn't take, and they had to go back in and redo it and take the skin graft away. And then they created a new scar coming oh. down my, my, the right side of my face uh, to make it more of a laugh line. And it, it was hard because emotionally, you know, when they're operating on those places, it brings back all those memories all those feelings. So I felt like I was re-exposing myself or almost, you know, triggering myself, right? You're traumatizing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it, it was the same pain in the same areas. And so it was hard and it was a really hard road and the recoveries were, you know, kind of sent back to, okay, can't really be around people for a few weeks because of infection, you know, it looks so good. Uh, you know, all those the areas would bleed. It was very uncomfortable. Uh, so it was, a, it was a really long journey. I think for me, it, it, the patience part was hard at times because, of course, you you want it to be, uh, you know, snap your finger and 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 it's perfect, right? Uh, but I just I realized that it was a process. Physical healing was a process. Emotional healing was a process, and I just had to be patient with myself and take it day by day. I mean, I really had to in my mind, okay, my goal, especially after a surgery, I just need to get through the next hour. I need to get through the next fifteen minutes. I need, you know, whatever small increment I needed to do, and you focus on that. And that helps you kind of see if you can then go back and say, hey, yesterday I was feeling really bad and today I'm actually feeling a little bit better. Then you can kind of track your progress and that helps. Uh, but, but it is, it, it definitely, you have to keep, you know, waiting and going through that. And, and actually a few years ago, my uh, plastic surgeon gave me the option and said, do you, do you still want to continue surgery? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm good for now, right? I'm happy with the outcome. I can breathe. My nostril isn't closing in on itself anymore. I, I'm good for now. And maybe in the future, I'll need more. Um, you know, my, he jokes with me that one side of my face as I age will look like, uh, you know, it, it got like a facelift. Uh, so, you know, there may be things down the road that need to happen. Um, but, but for now, you know, I, I'm content with the face I have. And, um, you know, it, it would always take time to, that was another part of this was it's like getting used to a new face and, you know, face is such mm -hmm. a part of your identity. You meet someone. Absolutely. And That's you, what you're stuck you, with 24 seven. That's who you are. Yeah. on outer on outer right right exactly and you had to, I would have to get used to it all over it so you know surgery would happen and it would change my face and I had it was almost kind of like I read a little in the book about this it was like saying goodbye to my old face and then welcoming the new face when I woke up and so yeah it was it was a process and it just it just took time and I you know for your listeners I'm I'm speaking to you more than 12 years after the accident right so I'm coming to you in a very different place than I was 12 years ago this took a long time to get there it was not an easy process but it took a lot of patience uh, to and perseverance to get here 
Wow. And, and again, for everybody watching and listening, this, it's so important to really recognize this happened when you were 15 years old. 12 years later, this is what we see right now. Yes, a little bit of scarring still on your face, but nothing that um, says as much as your story how actually was a long journey to get there, right? And it's so interesting too, how we live in society that is so much overconsumed of that outer, right? And of that perfection, perfection of, of the man, perfection of the woman and what we're willing, even when we have a beautiful faces to do those extra things so that we are still looking young, that we're still looking youthful and energized or whatever might be the perception. Versus when you're trying to do because you have to, because you're overcoming something challenging. That's so true. That's so true. And I, you know, I think that, and I'll tell audiences this when I, when I get the chance to speak is, you know, we, we live in this culture where we want to post the best pictures on social media. It's only the good things, right? And, and I think we as a culture have to come to grips with our scars and, and I think both internal and external, and it's okay to reveal those and live authentically in those because we all have them. And if we pretend they're, they're not there, it, it, it impedes our ability to have authentic connection with others. And so for me, there's times where, you know, after a surgery, I, I would post what I looked like and, and I wasn't ashamed of it. It took a long time to get there, but I didn't want to hide it anymore. It was, it was my reality. <laughs> And I didn't want to pretend like that's not how I looked. And, and so, you know, going through that experience, it's, it's giving me perspective of, hey, I almost died. And so for me, it's like, you know, it, if I don't look as great as I'd like to today, I, at least I'm still here and I'm grateful that I can, I can breathe in air. And so it is, it is a perspective that, that I've had to espouse, but, but it is something in the broader culture that, that needs to continue to be encouraged of, of, of showing our authentic selves, both inside and outside. And that it's not, there's no shame around our scars. And I love it because it's so important to be also remembered that it's what matters. It's truly what is inside. How do you come as a human being? What quality you portray? How do you live your life? How you demonstrate are you a good human or just that false, fake, whatever that outer might be portraying. Of course, it's important also for confidence, self-esteem to preserve and take care of yourself, specifically after you get disconfigured or due to accident or whatever might be the scenario. So let's dive a little bit into now those invisible wounds, because I know that we have invisible wounds or visible scars that are so hard for others to truly understand because they're not visible and people believe and think you're fine and everything is great and dandy. But reality, those invisible scars or wounds take so much more time to heal. So do you mind sharing a little bit about that journey and what that was looking like for you? Yeah, yeah, that's, it's, you're, you're exactly right. I think that you know, the invisible scars, when I look back on my story, I carried those far longer and they affected my life in really, really tangible ways that, you know, really I carried with me, like I said, into my early twenties. I think the, the big areas that I carried them in to were just lacking confidence, you know, and, and, um, you know, always being worried about, oh, is this person going to notice my scars? Right. And, and I would see it happen over time where you know, there'd be that, that kind of the light bulb would go off, right? And people, their eyes would be drawn to the area. And I knew it because it hap it's happened to be hundreds, if not thousands of times at this point. But, you know, I was always worried. And so I would do a lot of defense mechanisms, like put my hand over my mouth or, you know, I, I do all sorts of things to try to distract people from that because I really lacked confidence. And I felt like I couldn't, uh, you know, I had to be really careful and I felt really insecure. And I, I think for me, you know, I really carried that into a lot of romantic relationships, especially in my early 20s of, 
you know, I didn't go on my first date until I was uh, 21. And so I felt like I missed out on, on this, you know, the young adult experience, right. And being a teenager. And, and, and I ended up in a few relationships that were, that were, you know, I would say really toxic and, and, and emotionally uh, not, not healthy for me to be in, but I stayed in them because I believed that, you know, nobody else would love me. Right. And so I had to kind of, you know, endure this kind of treatment because nobody was going to ever fall for me. And so that was a big area where I really carried that, those cars with me. And I think most people probably didn't know that because, you know, I, I looked better than I had when I was a teenager and, you know, it wasn't something that, that, that I talked about, but that was something that really affected me um, for a long time. And I really believed I wasn't ever going to find anybody and that I wasn't worthy of love or I wasn't worth loving um, or worthy of respect or worthy of really being heard. Um, and, and that was something that I really carried with me and, and really had to work through and come to a place of, of seeing myself in a different light and, and growing that confidence and, and being able to, to you know, do the things I've done in the years since. Wow, you said some very powerful things here, Samuel, and thank you so much for sharing that internal struggle, right? Because we all, a lot of times when something is taken away from us, or when we feel not perfect anymore, or whole for that matter, right? The previous initial condition, how you arrived in this life, how your mother gave the birth to you, how do you were growing up till that, that accident? How did you fit in with your kids, uh, with your friends, with people in school and, and in community. And all of a sudden, it's like a domino effect, right? Uh, you have your initial internal struggles and you also have a responses from people around you. Sometimes they're visible, sometimes invisible. You're picking up on energy on the cues and all of a sudden everything is shifting, right? And as a result, we hold that pain inside. We feel like, again, as you pointed out, self-confidence, self-esteem, all of that deteriorates because you don't feel anymore as a whole or as, a, as, a, as you used to prior to the incident or prior to dramatic events that occurred. And I really wish that we have a more uh, astute uh, system that can really guide people through that process because I, I see that through even veterans that I work in the past after coming from the uh, from military. Um, I'm seeing that with survivors that I used to um, rehabilitated for over decades and decades from over 120 countries. And the reason I'm bringing this home, Samuel, I'm so impressed how you as a young man arrived and came and became who you are today. And I just wanna kudo you because fortunately, no many um, institutions recognize how important it is emotional healing, how it's important to have the process of normalization that is not your fault, whatever it might be, you know, it could be wide ranges of trauma, which some people might be raped, for some people might be um, visible scars like that, for some people might be witnessing murder of their family. I mean, all of those are extremely high traumatic events and everybody is taking on very different journey with process of understanding, but also process of processing, right? And healing as a result of it. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, you know, that, that was another invisible scar that, that you mentioned there too, of really feeling like maybe I had done something wrong or feeling shame or, you know, I, I had people who in my life, I think who kind of assumed they didn't hear the whole story. I had family members who, you know, certain family members who, who 
didn't hear the whole story and kind of accused me of, well, you must have done something wrong here. Um, you know, I had certain family members who wouldn't even look me in the face because of the scars I had um, until I grew a beard years later and then they could look at me. I mean, there, you know, there was a lot of rejection that happened and there were there were times where I thought, well, maybe maybe I should have done something different and maybe I should have known. And But, you know, through working through counseling, having to realize, wait, this wasn't my fault. It was the negligence of these adults and I'm not going to own this. And uh, just because they don't own it doesn't mean that I, I, I have to own it for them, right? And, and that's an important lesson of, you know, kind of uh, accepting blame when you need to, but also not just taking blame because somebody else is, is telling you that, that it's on you. And so for me, I really had to work through that because I did, I felt like, you know, I was, I was dirty. I was tainted. There was something wrong with me uh, for, because this had happened, but you're right. I mean, the emotional healing part is so key and we focus, you know, the doctors focused a lot on the physical healing. You know, when I was going back to school, it was the focus on the physical healing, but you know, I, the emotional piece was something that I really needed. And I think a lot of people kind of glossed over that uh, and really focused on, on how I looked. And that, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, people would say, well, you look great. And, and even if I, I do, um, you know, I still, it didn't mean I always felt great, right? And so there was times where I was still really wrestling with some of those invisible scars, but people were just really focused on the appearance. And so I would always try to encourage people to see, hey, there's more to this than just how I look. There, there, there's all these other elements. And so I really appreciate you, you pointing that out. You're, you're, you're spot on. It, there's so much that goes into these types of injuries and, uh, you know, it, recognizing the emotional piece is really important. And I wanted to ask you, uh, with all this great work that you did, um, did you ever reconcile with the gentleman who falsely obviously put you in the spot in that very vulnerable position and outcome that you had? Did you help with moving? Did he ever acknowledge? Did he ever apologize? Because uh, obviously that has a lot to do with healing process itself. But I'm just curious if there was ever, ever acknowledgement from his part and responsibility. Yeah, and, and I think this was part of what what added to my struggle was there there was not an acknowledgement. Uh, you know, he uh, he did when 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 talking with my mom. You know, he he said this was fate. Uh, it, it was no one's fault. Uh, didn't take responsibility. Didn't offer to do anything. Didn't you know? Uh, uh, when when I was in the hospital, came up and 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 said, well, at least you're not blind and and everything's fine. And um, you know, just just kind of totally not uh, acknowledging or connecting with the fact that this had happened. And and so I think it really uh, it, it was something that I carried with me of kind of you know really being disturbed by that and and trying to work through why that happened and why responsibility wasn't taken for what happened. And reason I'm asking, and that's probably, uh, I mean, that's what I assume, uh, and it's one of the pro probability where healing process take much longer. And reason I'm going to, for everyone that's watching and listening again, and the show and the podcast itself, how important it is to do right things. A lot of people are scared of acknowledging responsibility because of lawsuits and all the wrong reasons. But when you have something that you did wrong due to whatever, moments in your lowest parts of your life, but whatever it's the case, let others to be able to heal and, and, and be able to move on and don't prolong others people pain. And I can't even imagine for a young teenager again, who is going into this young adulthood where you are right now, that had to go through that and seeing as like, what is the world all about? Someone who, who puts me in this scenario, downplays the severity of situation and doesn't even want to acknowledge their responsibility or help me through this process to process what happened and let it go and heal and, 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 and find some closure, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's 
totally spot on. It, it was, it was really hard because it, it did, it felt very, it, it added to the pain and then it felt all the more lonely to feel like nobody wanted to, you know, help. Nobody wanted to take that responsibility. And, and so that was really tough. And I, I noticed even in my own, like going back to school and being around others, friends just kind of drifted away. Right. And, 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 and I think when I look back, I think a lot of them, you know, they, they just didn't know what to say, which, which I don't blame them. I, I didn't know what to say to myself half the time either, but you know, it felt really lonely of like, yeah, how, how do I work through this? It, it really just felt like, um, you know, I could count on one finger the the, the one hand, the, the people that were there for me during that time. And that was, that was hard too. And so, yeah, it was a really long journey. And I, I think, you know, doing the right thing is so important and because our actions affect others, right? Whether we realize that or not, everything we do has an effect on other people. And it's something that I, I you know, I really try to approach every day and every interaction with an intentionality, partly because of what I've been through, because I know what it's like when you feel like, you know, you get rejected or you feel like, you know, people don't take responsibility for the, the havoc they wreak on, on your life. That is such a great point, guys. Again, as you listen to what Samuel just shared, um, again, anytime we can help anybody, even if we don't understand, sit down and have a conversation, be curious, be good friend, just be a good human. Don't turn away from something that you know that at least with your smile, with your genuine interest or care can make a tremendous difference. People that are most lonely are usually the ones on those journeys that are going by themselves that need the most that human uh, aspect. And, and it's unfortunate. And even COVID and current environments and everything that we're seeing are showing the same thing. I remember early stages of COVID, I actually contracted from New York and, and being sick and being by myself and not knowing, like I can't even tell anybody that I'm having it because, or, or you know, I know that my lungs are irritated. I know that I'm coughing, I know that I'm weak week because it's like I didn't have no idea how some people will react because with so much fear factor right and and sometimes what we don't know we fear and we don't even realize right and uh, not having again tools and being prepared to go back to school or or being having support from teachers to prepare students to tell them a little bit about that or address that topic with the classmates or parents uh, with the other parents because we have a bullying already insanely all-time high, right? Without even, you know, pandemic and everything else that is going on. Uh, so in, without visible scars or, or, or disabilities, we shun disabilities, for example, right? Or something that is different. And I think this is phenomenal opportunity to change. Um, so thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that with us, Samuel. And I have a question. Obviously, you are married now. And do you mind sharing a little bit of that journey? Obviously, you overcame and you worked through this and you found a woman of your life so that you have obviously happy marriage together. So do you mind sharing how that transformation, that internal inner work that took so many years for you contributed for that to occur? Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was something that I, I really feel like when I look back, I had to be ready, right? It was, it was kind of that refinement period of, of really going through that time and really getting to a place where I was ready to welcome someone into my life. And, and I remember, you know, just a few months before I met my wife, my now wife coming to that place of just really feeling, you know, I'm not going to carry this anymore. You know, I, I'm tired of being in relationships where I'm not treated well, I deserve better, and, you know, I, I'm worthy of love. And, and so I'm going to wait and I'm going to, you know, whoever, whenever the right person comes along, I'm just going to keep working and keep doing what I can 
to make a difference in the lives of others. And when she comes along, she comes along, but it's no longer on my timetable, right? Because I felt that urgency if I want to meet this person now, right? And, and again, having that patience. Uh, but for me, you know, in, in our marriage, it, it that has been a really healing aspect for me as well of meeting my wife. She she is a wonderful, beautiful person inside and out who loves me unconditionally and has come into my life and, and taught me so much about love, about life, about everything. But having her love me despite or in spite of my scars or because of who I am, right, uh, has been so healing and it's put to rest all those fears I had as a, as a teenager in, in the night after the accident of would I find someone, uh, you know, I, I, all of that anxiety just, just you know, melted away when, when, when we started dating. And so for me, it, it just, it has been such a healing aspect for me. And I think now I see myself as, you know, my scars, it's been able to transform them from objects of shame and, and, you know, things to be ashamed of into objects of showing symbolism of survival. And I see now the lessons I learned. And for me, I think I'm a more empathetic and compassionate husband because of what I went through. And, you know, I, my scars actually enhance my ability to, to lead my team at work. And, and there's, so there's things that I've been able to now see with the benefit of hindsight that the lessons I learned actually, you know, help and, and enhance my marriage and, and those things. And so, you know, having that ability to look back and see that is really freeing. Um, you know, I think that's the great benefit of life experience, right? When I was 15, I couldn't look back and see, you know, what I'd been preserved through because I hadn't faced as much adversity. Now, now in my late 20s, I can look back and see if I made it through that, I can make it through whatever comes my way. And then I can see the lessons learned, um, which is really important. Not to say that I'm glad the accident happened or if that I didn't have a time machine to go back to the, you know, back to the past that I wouldn't change what happened. But all, all that to say, I think I see the way I have learned lessons that I probably wouldn't have learned any other way. And for that, I'm grateful to have learned those lessons and I'm grateful to have that in my present day and it, and it makes my life more meaningful and richer and deeper. I love it. I absolutely love it. So see three things there happened. You worked on yourself. You put hours and hours of trenches work to make that happen. Then you made a decision. You deserve better. You know better, right? Now, now that I know better, I can be better. You apply that. And as a result, you created this absolutely amazing opportunity. And look at what happened. You fulfilled your life in so many ways with very fulfilling career, right? Uh, you were with very fulfilling marriage. And someone who is still in his 20s, right? How old are you right now? I am 27. I'll be 28 next month. See, as uh, someone who just completely showed and tapped in tremendous strength, amazing life wisdom. And the reason I'm pointing this out, Samuel, so many people think that certain things have to happen when we're in our 40s, 50s, 60s. And you were just epitome of young men that it's starting really having phenomenal, healthy foundation. And I just want to, again, kudo you for that because I'm seeing people in their 50s uh, that are not being working and acknowledging issues that happened to them from early childhood or whatever it might be that never had a healthy life, never had a healthy relationship, never had a relationship with the partner where there was some uh, toxicity and their own demons that they had to face introduced to that. And how beautiful of you it is to realize I have to work on all of this before I can enter and introduce myself, introduce to your colleagues on Amazon and, and work on such a delicate and highly 
technical and complex Amazon Web Services, right? When things are moving on freaking speed of lightning. And for people that don't understand that, it requires so much of whatever supporting role you play in running the teams and whatnot, how much that requires to be laser focused, self-aware and how to insert and dance and then talking about the marriage. So for everybody watching and listening, you have guys a lot to learn here, a lot of wisdom from such an amazing young man. And I can only think about two things here based on my experience and wisdom. You obviously had a phenomenal foundation at your home. And that made huge difference. And I wanted to, if you don't mind, just share just a few minutes, your experience with your parents and how you were raised and what values they installed. And as a result, um, obviously you're creating the legacy right now, not only because you published the book, but you're in the mission for something greater and bigger. And let audience know, what is that legacy that you like to fulfill in this chapter of your life? Yeah, absolutely. I, I So, you know, my parents, I they were very focused on uh, character, right? And, and the importance of character. So I remember, you know, my mom, there was many days where we would leave the house and she would say uh, something she had heard apparently from uh, her graduation speaker, which was uh, the Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, who told the audience that his father had said to him when he was a child, brains are like muscles. You can rent them by the hour, but at the end of the day, all you have left is your character. And so that was, that was how I grew up was, you know, you can yes, go, go be successful, go, go achieve, get good grades, you know, to do those things, but your character matters more, right. And, and who you are and how you treat people and, and, and how you, you know, interact with others is, is, is more important. Um, you know, I also grew up with, with that foundation of faith, right. Of growing up in, in, in a Christian home and, and faith was very important. And so I learned a lot of those values of how you treat others. And it's really an outflow of the faith that I, I still carry with me today and, and how I, I treat others. But, you know, I, I think that, having that foundation is important and it's something I draw on and it, it has led to, uh, you know, this book, which, which is the legacy I want to share. You know, I, I want to be known for being someone who, who has strong character, who is a man of integrity, who, um, you know, is, is honest with those closest to him and honest in all business dealings and somebody who approaches every day with the willingness and the desire to make an impact in the lives of those around me. And so for me, you know, my legacy, I hope, hope to be that. Um, I also think legacy is important. It, it, the, the biggest legacy you have is, is with your family, right? And the family you create. And so for me, um, it's, it's with my beautiful wife. And, and as we talk about starting a family in, in the future, you know, I, I take that really seriously. And part of why I wrote the book was because I wanted them to see uh, you know, I wanted this to be for them. I wanted them to see, hey, I, I went through all these things and I, I hung on and I survived. And in part, because of the promise of, of meeting my wife and, and one day having kids, I wanted to have that legacy. I wanted to, uh, you know, pour into them and use my experience to, to help others. But for me, it, you know, this book has been a wonderful opportunity to, you know, transform my experience into something that never should have happened, right? This negligent accident that never should have happened into something that has a redemptive aspect because it's, you know, I've heard from readers who uh, say they've, you know, it's encouraged them to go to counseling or it's helped them recognize their own scars, both inside and out. And that means the world to me. And, and it makes me uh, grateful that, that I've been able to have a, a small impact in the world and try to leave the world a better place than I found it. And that's something that I will continue to strive to do 
for as long as I'm here on this earth is to make a difference in the lives of others and to share my scars with others and, and, and encourage others who may be on their own path of struggling with adversity. And, and I hope that my story can speak to them and that they can use the lessons I learned and avoid some of the pitfalls that I fell into that I read about in my book. Uh, and hopefully they can do it better, right? And, and learn those lessons and use it as a guide uh, so that they can overcome the adversity of their own lives and then in turn help others. I think that's what we're all here to do is to make the world a better place. And that's what I strive to do each and every day. I absolutely love it, Samuel, for somebody, again, who is only 27 years old, so much amazing positivity, great journey so far, great lessons, and great opportunity for others to learn and be impacted and transformed with. So where can audience find you? Obviously, you have the book, Can You See My Scars? That's available on Amazon and other places. And where would you like audience to go and learn more about your book as well, if they'd like to connect with you, besides LinkedIn? <laughs> yeah, they can always find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my book is available on, on amazon.com. So you can find it uh, through searching for my name or can you see my scars? Uh, there is, I should say to the audience, there is actually a, a twist ending as well that you don't want to miss out on about the true identity of the owner of the sulfuric acid. So, so you definitely want to read that and, and see uh, the full story. There's a lot we weren't able to cover today. But, uh, you know, in addition to that, you can go to my website, samuelmore-sobel.com. And then you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at S more underscore Sobel. I would love to hear from, from any listeners and, and I hope my story has impacted you for good today. Oh, that is brilliant. And thank you again for joining us Legacy Leader Show. And I'm so glad that audience have some more things to discover uh, reading your book because obviously um, focuses how do you try, right? And how you overcome and, and obviously you're on the Legacy Leader Show and knowing your legacy, why, what's your purpose and how this created your purpose. It is definitely something for all the future leaders, leaders in making as well existing leaders, how to step up and make their contribution much more known and more visible. Samuel, fantastic conversation. Have a great day and look forward seeing the impact you're creating down the road. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. This was, this was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.